What is going on? Welcome to the Land Podcast. This week we have a great episode. It's with Ryan Kirby. Ryan has been a previous guest here on the Land Podcast, and I encourage you to go listen to that episode. It talks about how he bought his first farm and some farms after that, and I think it would be very relatable. And so this audio is actually from his podcast, The Art of Hunting, and it's really just a conversation about my background, real estate, and just a little bit of everything. So I hope you guys really enjoyed this. It's a longer conversation, so I'm going to break this up into two episodes. Part two will be next week, and you get to hear Ryan's first real estate story ever. It was about buying a house and the financial crisis and just just poor timing. And so I think that's always good to hear. It's good to hear about everyone's success, and it's even better when people are humble enough to explain some things that they did a little wrong or things that they wish they could do different. So I really appreciate Ryan sharing that story and that part will be out next week. And to kick the year off with a little bit of excitement, I don't know the exact details that we're going to do here, but Ryan is kind enough to be giving away some of his artwork to a lucky winner. All you have to do is leave a written review here on the land podcast and also a written review on his podcast, the art of hunting. So those are the details for now. I'll have more next week. We're kind of going back and forth on what exactly we want, we want to do, but I know for sure that is one way to get your name uh, in the bucket to potentially win some artwork from Ryan. And go check out his website, and if you're in the market to check out some sweet wildlife art, there is some really cool pieces on there. If you're a whitetail hunter, if you're really any anything wildlife, there's some really cool work in there. Uh, I've, I've got some pieces here. I have them hanging in my office, but Enough of all that. Let's go ahead and get into this episode. And if you are brand new here, the goal is very simple. It's to help 100 people buy their first farm. There's three ways to be included on that list. Number one, if you're in the state of Illinois and you're looking in an area that I have expertise, I'm more than happy to help. Number two, if you want to get connected with someone that I know and I would consider doing business with and happy to make a couple introductions and you can make your own decision from there, happy to do that. And number three, if you simply learn something here from the podcast that helps you take action, I want to hear it. It is crazy. We're averaging about three a week, and we are getting so, so, so close to that 100 mark. It's incredible, and I can't tell you enough of how much I appreciate the emails, the the messages, letting letting me know that, hey, this podcast provided value. It helped me put together a plan I could execute and buy my first farm. That is why I started this podcast, and it is beyond rewarding to get so close to that 100 mark. When I set that goal, I wasn't sure how long it was going to take. I didn't even know if it was actually going to happen, but we're going to do it and we're getting closer every single week. So I thank you guys. Thank you so much. Let's get into this week's episode. Here we go. But I can't remember where I'm kind of a land dork. Like I like farmland and hunting land. And I can't remember how I found your podcast to begin with, but it is one of the few that I listen to every week. Man. So it's like, if you're a land hunting dork, it's gold, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's, it's, I actually just got a phone call yesterday from a guy and uh, also a fellow land dork. And I was like, how'd you find it? And he's like, I don't know, but I'm really glad I did. <laughs> you know, and that seems to be a pretty yeah. common theme, which is really cool. I, I've learned so much and I think I'm uh, over well over 100 episodes now. And when I started that, I was just, I just realized that there was, number one, whenever I heard a podcast that was about land, I was like, there just needs to be a podcast about this because there's so much because every time it was this very high level. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you have service level knowledge, but when you go talk to someone, it's like, well, I just know how to, it's like just the very, very tippy top of the iceberg. It's like, we got to go dive in deep. And then the other thing too, is as a, as a land agent, I was helping guys sell ground that maybe they've already sold 20 parcels 
and having a conversation with them and how they looked at things was completely different than the guy that was just trying to buy his first farm. And the guy that was trying to buy his first farm was yep. just crippled. I was like, it's not that hard from what I'm – the perception of talking to a lot of people. So, like, we just have to kind of make it accessible to everyone because I think land ownership is awesome. And, if, and uh, the goal is to help 100 people buy a piece of ground, and we're inching towards it every day, which is really cool. Yeah. What were they crippled by? I think just curious. Yeah, so I think a lot of it was just um, being nervous of just not afraid of what they don't yeah. know. Another thing is it's a huge investment. I mean, it is a lot of money. It, more likely, it's yeah. going to be the biggest purchase of your life, which is is inherently scary. And so I think that was a lot of it. And mm-hmm. I think the other thing too was once I got going, it's like you had these people that were sharing their first time land buying experience. They all had the same emotions. They all went through the same process. And then you got to peek what, what yeah. it looked like for them three years down the road. And they're like, well, you know, it worked out great. It, it improved in value, and I've enjoyed every minute of it, and I've been able to take my family out and hunt on it. And that's just people getting into that. It's like it just kind of helps people rip off the Band-Aid is really what it is. And so that's, yeah. that's kind of what, yeah. what I've learned. But it is, it is scary if you if you're like wake up one day or maybe as a kid you're just, I always wanted to own a piece of ground, but you didn't grow up around like – I I don't come from a line of land ownership. I always thought growing up you had to hit the lottery yeah. or, or you get super lucky. And it's like there's a really clear action plan that you can just follow, and here's how you do it and, and to have guests on it. And we've had also we've had teachers yep. on there. We've had every type of profession you can think of. Yeah, dude. And, and they do it. So it's like there's no excuse. Yeah. Um, that, my buddy Dave Skinner. He was saying he he ran the numbers and he's like I can't remember what the details were. He was like if most guys would just give up dip and Mountain Dew at the gas station every day, they could own a farm. Exactly. Like yeah. might not be eight hundred acres, but it's a forty. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So so I want to know all about um, you, how you started, all that kind of stuff. So you you're from Peoria, right? Yeah, I'm from the Peoria Bo- around yeah, there. Born and raised in the Peoria area. Um, I'm thinking, I don't know how many generations, basically a lot of, from this area, family, both sides of my family's from this area. And so it's just always been home uh, up to this point in my life. And, um, a second to Iowa, yeah. I, I do love it. <laughs> yeah. Where, where, where did you go to high school at? Like what town? So specifically? I went to school in Henry. We were the Henry Mallards, uh, yeah. which is pretty cool. Henry Mallards. Yeah, pretty cool. I thought uh, Havana, uh, Havana was the Ducks. They might be the Havana Ducks down the yeah, river. Yeah, they could be the Ducks, but we're the Mallards. So, um, and and that just that <laughs> we get we get more uh, detailed. So, I mean, this where I grew up, it was a very rich history of duck hunting. Like some of the oldest duck clubs in the state are in this area. So that's part of it. And then a okay. a, a world renowned um, folk artist, Charles Perdue. He was um, in my hometown, and so. There's just a lot of duck hunting culture here, and it's been interesting to see okay. that change. Like, my grandfather helped run a duck club throughout a lot of his life, and to see how that whole landscape has changed, like, you know, through stories and even in my lifetime. And, you know, those duck clubs are still here, and they're definitely more uh, yeah. exclusive. Yep. You talk about history, man. Like, those duck clubs, they're, they're like, older than the oldest country club. You know? Yeah, so this uh, yeah. the the Chicago clubs the Chicago Cubs drove down from Chicago and played the Henry Grays. We actually had a professional baseball team in the early 1900s, and now our population okay. is like 2,000 people. So you know, it's just, it's just <laughs> hilarious that we had a professional baseball team in this town, which is I don't even know where the field's at. I mean, it's it's completely. Yeah. 
So, so you graduated uh, high school, then you went to college. Where did you go to school at? So I, I went with? to school. It was called Ashford University, and uh, I didn't okay. know where I wanted to go. And one of their, I guess, recruiters rolled through our school. And if you had this this okay. X, X point uh, GPA and you wrote a good essay, you get a full tuition scholarship. I'm, like, I, I'm the first person in my okay. family to graduate from a four year <laughs> university. I'm like, how? You know, it's kind of the same deal with land ownership. Like, I don't, I didn't even know what I didn't know. Yeah. And so I ended up getting a full yeah. tuition scholarship, and uh, which was awesome. And it was in Clinton, Iowa, and which is just right across the border in, uh, into Iowa. And I went there for two years, yeah. and it was fun. I mean, in a lot of a lot of that, it's like hard to look in the rearview mirror. Of what you know? What if I went to the University of Illinois? What if I went to Illinois State? Or what if I went somewhere else? I don't know if things would yeah. have transpired kind of how how they did. But I went there, and um, which is interesting, full tuition scholarship, and then my freshman year is like when I got. I've always been entrepreneurial at heart, but that's when that bug really, really bit me because. Yeah. I think people think – I remember my friend was like, man, I, yeah. I have a lot more free time than what I was used to even compared to high school because you think about it. You get to school at 8. You have stuff after school. You go home at 7. You have homework, and you really don't have much free time. Now it's like I have three hours of classes, yep. and I have a lot of time. And so I just remember yeah. um, reading articles on Forbes and, and then actually having like cable TV in the dorm room, and I'd watch Jim Cramer's stock show <laughs> every night. <laughs> total nerd. Total <laughs> nerd. And I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. This is really cool. And yeah, it, it yeah. was fun. It was really cool. So wh- what were you actually st- – because I've noticed that about you too. Just, I mean, we've only talked a handful of times but and texted and stuff, but I can I can tell you, you, you you're a hustler, man. Um, so what what were you studying? Like what was your degree going to be? You laugh. Um, I was actually studying criminal justice, and I was a double majoring in yeah. business. And okay. I, it was everyone else like, I want to work outside. I want to be around honey, and I want to be a game warden. And then – Literally, uh, about one okay. year in, it's like I don't want to do this, but you, yeah. you know, like the classes were easy. <laughs> it's like you know, like and so I was like, I was a double majoring, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, at, at basically probably at the end of my first semester, I knew I should have switched to business, but I was like, I'll just double major. It's free. I have a full tuition scholarship. It's free, so yeah. I'm just going to double major. Yeah, and I know I end up using my business degree, but you know, whether it's stubbornness or whatever. Uh, so that's what I was studying, and. Uh, you know, it, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I didn't become a game warden. I think that I, that's just a a career that I think sounds really cool for anyone that wants to be in that space. But you think about when mm-hmm. they're you're not dealing with happy hunters most of the time. And and then yep. I had one. I talked to a game warden when I talked when I was thinking about doing this. He's like, "Do you realize every other person has a gun <laughs> when, you're, when you're a game warden? You're like, yeah. a, like a police officer? Yeah. It's a completely different thing." But um, so yeah, that's that's kind of when I started doing that. And and when I knew I had the business bug big time was I, I remember distinctly reading an article on Forbes about people growing niche social accounts. This is right when Instagram was starting to pop, right when Twitter was starting to pop. And they were talking about like, you, mm-hmm. you can build this and you can sell ads or whatever the case may be. So I literally opened up my laptop and started a Twitter account and I grew that to like 50,000 followers very quickly. And just every article you could read about growth hacking and everything else is what I did and, and got really obsessed with it. And then at that point, yeah. I'm a poor college kid. I'm like, how, what business can I start with very low cost of goods, very low startup cost? And then it all circled back to, I grew up on a small deer farm, like a hobby deer farm, not a big one. And I was like, what do deer do yeah. every single day? They pee. What is there a market for? <laughs> deer pee. And so literally I remember building my first website and, and just like, all right, I'm going to do it. And 
uh, looking back at that, it's laughable. But I actually sold quite a bit, and and I had to think of I just didn't want to sell. I wanted to have a true competitive advantage, and so the competitive advantage was it was collected and shipped <laughs> the same day, so it was the freshest it possibly could be, and uh, that's that's what I did. And it's yeah. like once I did that, that was when blogs were really big, and if you had an article go big on there, you could sell a bunch of stuff. And so I read, I cold cold emailed yeah. wide open spaces uh, online publication. I'm a freshman in college; like, I've never even like. I have no clue what I'm doing, and I just pitched them on. Yeah, dude. I just pitched them on the fact like I have these other accounts. I know you guys want to send traffic to your site so you can get ads. I can send additional traffic just beyond writing my articles. And they're like, okay. And so I started writing articles, and I figured out how to do SEO. And from about 2015 to 2018, if you typed in fresh deer urine, about every web result was mine <laughs> because it was so easy that you. You were like the the staple child for the don't go to college movement. Like you didn't need to be in school. No, you just rented a dorm room. Well, I, dude, bef- before we move on, the the thing that's sticking out of my head, we have a supply chain issue. So, like, you have a hobby deer farm in Peoria. You're in Clinton, Iowa. Where, how how is this collected? Yeah. And so I have to give a lot of if you if you tell me that you like hired your sister to do it for you and you're just the puppet master. <laughs> I swear my head's going to explode. So actually I have to give a lot, how, how did you a do lot this? of credit to my parents. So they, they were very supportive in that fashion. Okay. And so honestly during I – would, I would dip out of school for about two weeks in college. I'd, I would come up with whatever okay. excuse I could – I mean because we were just talking about sales cycles before. It's a very, very short sales yeah. cycle. And so – Yeah. You're not selling pee in – No. And so that, that was kind of a blessing because I would just go back and, and school was only two hours away. So I'd go back every single weekend and then I would, I would just dip out of class for about two weeks during the peak of it. And so I do have to give a lot of credit to my parents for that, for helping out. But it was, it was really fun. It was really cool. And a lot of the contacts – I mean looking back now, it's it, it, like how everything unfolded. Like some of the contacts are like my first partners, I put in air quotes. Those are guys I still yeah. talk to today. And, and, you know, yeah. it's just so funny that how all of that works out. And uh, it was just, it was <laughs> so we, we know when the peak rut is in the Midwest, like when is peak urine collection time? Is it because I'm assuming they want it in hand, like November 1st or whatever. Yeah. So that was the hardest thing because every bottle has dough and estrus and the estrus cycle is such a narrow window. Yeah. And so when the majority oh, wow. of our doughs were truly in estrus, was around the nine ten eleven, which is some of my favorite days of hunting, and and yeah. and I can't scientifically say they're one hundred percent the estrus, but their behavior is different. How the bucks react is completely different. Yeah. And so that yeah. was when someone said, "I want the best of the best." I was like, "Well, you're gonna get it, you know, like two days after after you know, like the ninth or a tenth. But I mean, as a as a cover set, you're like, "Come over here at two o'clock and give me your Mountain Dew bottle, and I'll yeah. give you the best of the best." Hundred percent. Yeah. And here, hold this. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, like, looking back, to another reason why it worked so well is, like, we would artificially inseminate the deer. So we had shoots. We had corral system. And so uh, it, the infrastructure was already there. And so it, it actually worked out extremely well. And uh, But, yeah, so yeah. I would say late October is when you start get, to get a lot of calls and emails and you start fulfilling orders. Like, this is not dough and heat, but it is dough urine and, and kind of coach people okay. on that. And so that was that was kind of what it was. But, I mean, I still get people to – I stopped doing it because I didn't have time anymore. And, and also it cuts into hunting yeah. a lot because when you have to collect it in the morning yeah. I and mean, you got to get to the post office at some point in the day, I mean, you know how it is. And uh, so, but I still get people to this day like, Hey, 
can I buy some? I'm like, no, oh, sorry. <laughs> we're, we're all done. But uh, but it was cool. I'm just picturing you as a game warden. Like, look, man, here's a ticket. But to soften the blow, I'm going to throw <laughs> yeah, a bottle right. of whiskey for you. They send you on your way. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was during that time, I was taking a lot more business classes. And whether it's uh, – I was the deer pee guy. I didn't, co- I didn't coin myself that name. Yeah. That's not a very good nickname to okay. have in college. <laughs> But it was just like people yeah. just knew he is the deer pee guy. And, uh, yeah, it, it was a weird chapter in my life. But really fun. And I, I learned did, so Did much. you have a logo? I did. I had a logo. Um, I would definitely make it different today. Uh, I had a website. I had – What was it? It was – so the, the What was the logo? The, it was – so the brand was Common Sense, C-O-M-M-O-N-S-E-N-T-S. And then it was a brain. It was the worst logo ever. It was a brain with antlers coming out the top. I was a freshman in college. I didn't know how to make a logo, but that's what I did. <laughs> What's the, what was the brain part? That was the common sense part. So like the comp, like using. Oh, I get it now. Sorry, yeah. artist, you gotta you gotta show. It yeah, to here me. I am talking to you about design yeah. work. <laughs> yeah, like, I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't handle words. I need pictures. Yeah. So well, yeah, now now that would totally be like a spinoff for like a CWD logo or something <laughs> like that. Seriously, yeah. the brain and the animals. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. So did you? Um, I, I would imagine because so like when I was in art school, I was like the the deer and turkey guy. So people are like throwing paint at the walls and doing Jackson like all kinds of weird crap. And then I would get up with, for a critique with like my ducks. And I was that. I was the. I was probably the dopey guy for art. Like, did you did you have to get up and do any like presentations on your business in front of the class? I never had and, to like, do a direct. Show them your model. Yeah, I, I would. Uh, I would ask professors about you know like what do you think I could do differently, uh, and they're like, "What's the business?" Yeah. And they just look at you like you're crazy. And like, <laughs> so you do what? And then this is the I have to ask, how do you collect it? And so um, I never had to give a like a yeah. distinct uh, pitch on the actual business, but inherently, like I I asked all my professors, yeah. "What do you think? What would you do different? Uh, what do you suggest to small businesses?" And and that's that's a skill set I think everyone can utilize is. Don't be afraid to ask for advice, and yeah. I definitely wasn't scared of that, and, and got some good insight, got some good advice, and um, it's just, yeah, it's definitely was a it was a weird business, and it was like I said, I wouldn't change anything about it. It was really cool. Yeah, that is awesome, dude. So okay, so you're you're you you're writing for wide open spaces. Where does that go from there? Yeah, so that was I got into that at a really good time because this was when Facebook was before Facebook was sensitive to sending traffic off of their site. So at that time you could write an article okay. and they would like a actual link could go viral on Facebook. And so it worked really well cuz you got a you know revenue share on the amount of eyeballs you got onto an article. And I I literally wrote over 650 articles. I was writing articles in class during wow. deer season. I was just looking for giant deer that got killed and try to put some sort of like pseudo article of breaking it down of this is the deer where it was shot, these are the details we have. And I did that a bunch. And then I had a couple of random articles just go nuclear. Uh, one of them is, one of them I remember was something like 10, 10 facts that anti-hunters should know. And it just went ballistic. And, uh, and so, I mean, it, it actually yeah. helped me pay through school a lot. And, and throughout that time, so you got paid for eyeballs. And also I was looking, okay, this is a legitimate online platform. How can I leverage this to, to make more industry contacts? And ironically, as Exodus, which co-owner today, but as as that time, I was a kid in college, and I remember cold outreaching to them as well and said, hey, you guys are launching a new company. I'd love to sit down, do an interview. 
get the facts of the business, what makes you guys different. Um, at that time, they were the first company to offer a five-year warranty and also the first company to offer a five-year no BS warranty of theft and damage coverage. And so I okay. thought that was really interesting, talked with them. And just uh, I remember I had, a, I had an old phone and then I had my other phone and I had, a, had them on speakerphone and recorded it with this phone so I could take notes. And I wrote the article and, uh, and I stayed in touch. And then eventually throughout that time, I remember I was in, on vacation in Canada fishing and my roommate called me. And he's like, hey, our school's closing. And I'm like, man, are you really that bored you have to call me about like that joke? <laughs> he's like, I'm dead serious. I didn't, have, I didn't have very good signal. I was surprised the call went through. And then sure enough, you know, and I got the automated email. Like, we're, we'll be closing our doors at the end of the year, which this was my sophomore year going to my junior year. And I was actually the president of the university, wow. like out of the, like, the student government at that time. And I was like, I'm, I'm dipping, man. Like, I don't, I don't even know if my credits are going to be um, accredited. Yeah. Like, there was issues with that potentially. And so I literally Googled yep. what's the cheapest state school in Illinois is Western Illinois. And I got to pay for it. And so, so I was like, I, yeah. I went down and enrolled at Western Illinois University. And at that point, I ended up getting a minor in marketing. But I, at that point, for me to continue to pay for a double major, and at this point, I was like, I know I can create my own job. Or like, I know I can go create my own opportunities. I don't need to pay for the second major anymore. So I ended up graduating with a law enforcement degree yeah. with a minor in marketing. And throughout that time, I mean, I was just... I was working extremely hard. I was writing so many articles and doing so many different things. I was doing freelance marketing. I was, I was buying courses on how to figure out how to do SEO better. Like anything you can think of. I was extremely, extremely hungry. And throughout that time, I remember I had to get an internship to graduate my law enforcement degree. Right. So they're telling you you need to go work for a a police office or, you know, police department or something like that. Okay. Okay. I gotta, I gotta figure out how to spin this. I had, and at that time, I knew I was getting my real estate license as well. So I actually got an internship lined up with a real estate attorney that was local. And it, like, there's good offices, and then there's some, as an as a agent, like when you walk into an office, you can tell sometimes there's animosity amongst the group. And then sometimes mm-hmm. you can tell it's like a family. This one walked in that everyone there was very territorial. I was like, this is not going to be fun. Like, I'm, thank you so much for the opportunity, yeah. <laughs> but this is not going to be a very, very fun three months of my life. And then I remember going to the ATA show. And I uh, happened to have a scheduled meeting with them because I did a lot of writing at that point. And I just went to that meeting to write articles for them. And I was like, okay, I know that's a good idea, but I'm going to pitch you on an internship. I need one to graduate. I don't care if you pay me. I don't care what it is. I don't care what you have me do. I just want an opportunity to work in this business um, because we were just getting started. And so they said, yeah, we'll do it. So then I went back to the, the dean and I was like, hey, it's a surveillance company. I'm going to work for a surveillance <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to play that, that card he, as soon as I was, I was like, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Like, if you say no, I'm probably not going to graduate. So just please say yes. He's yeah. like, all right, fine. So I did that and I started as an intern. I was their first ever employee outside of the founders. And, um, you know, it's like able to, like you look back of all these random things and how they play into life later is actually comical when you sit back and look, because I was able to take yeah my, I was like, I was selling deer pee on the internet. Like, Here's a company that has a yeah. legitimate product, a legitimate, like, every, yeah. all the infrastructure to really make an impact. And so I was, I was ecstatic for the opportunity, and, and that's kind of what I did is I went in there and, and you know, just uh, basically transferred a lot of those skills and obviously got better at a lot of things, too. But that was, that was kind of the yeah. introduction of that. And I remember that first year when I was an intern, we did, I think, 17 trade shows that spring. And there wow. were, like, 17 trade shows over 18 weekends. So my whole internship was work, work during the week, 
Thursday night, pack up and go to Columbus, Ohio, go to wherever in Wisconsin, go to Indiana, go like Iowa, yeah. all the shows. So I did that full trade show circuit then. And uh, it was, it was like you were, you were in the thick of it at that point. Yeah. What, because um, when, you, when, you, when you said, I was wondering how you were going to get this through in criminal justice, and I was like, I bet he's going to say it's a surveillance <laughs> yeah. company. So you, you basically, your college was kind of like a, a, a Van Wilder in camo. You were just like running things, a fake school. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, yeah. So that's basically, that's exactly yeah. kind of how it was. And it was like I would go to, <laughs> I would go to class, and then I would just go back and, and get back to work on the things I had going on. And uh, yeah, because I was like, man, I'm, you know, and also when I, I would, there was multiple summers where I had like three or four jobs, if you counted all of them. Yeah, up. I and I was like, man, like I make, I, I roofed in the summer. Like I, I'm not shy of hard work. And, yeah. and then I would go and yeah. then I would write articles. I was like, dude, I made more this month writing articles than what I did roofing. I was like that. Yeah. Like, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Cause that took, I did that after work in the span of two or three hours and I worked eight hours in the sun, and it wasn't very fun. <laughs> what What did your parents do? So my dad, like, yeah, we're very blue collar. So my mom, did you learn this like entrepreneurial hustle from them, or, or you what? know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that have been in my family. As you kind of like look objectively, um, my dad ran a roofing yeah. business, and then he had both his knees replaced, okay. and then he joined the union, which I think he probably wished he would have done way before that. And then, um, but yeah. like. My grandfather built a bowling alley after he got out of, uh, in town, after he got done with the war. And then, like, my uncles have all ran businesses. Okay. And so none of them, they've all been, like, very traditional businesses. And, and when you try to explain you work from home and you sell products online, kind of a hard thing to explain to a lot of people for, for a long time. But now people yeah. kind of get it. Yeah. They think you're dealing drugs or something. <laughs> I wasn't making enough money for people to assume that. <laughs> So what did you what did you think of the trade show circuit? It was because that's probably a new experience. for Yeah, you. it was it was long. Um, <coughs> it was really cool. Yeah, and it was really cool. But after I mean, seventeen trade shows that's just a lot. And so now we we do a, a lot fewer yeah. trade shows, which I'm I'm good with. But I mean, it is really cool, and I think it's even it's cooler. It compounds every year because you can feel the brand grow each year. Because I can remember 2017. Yeah. Like, what's the company? I've never heard of you guys. What could you tell me about it? And now when we go to a trade show, like, oh, yeah, I have your cameras. Or, oh, yeah, I've heard of you guys. Or, yeah, I've seen your guys' YouTube videos. Or, yeah, I've heard the podcast. So that's been probably the most rewarding yep. aspect of that. Because we don't – like, I'm sure you kind of understand that too. It's like we work online, and it's not like you're in a retail store mm-hmm. or you're getting a lot of, like, peer-to-peer interaction with your consumers. And so that's what I like most about trade shows. And oh, what yeah. do you think about our cameras? What would you change? And it's just a – to me, it's almost as like market research every single trade show. What cameras do you run? Why do you run them? And I, I do love that part. Yeah. 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 Now, I, re- I remember, so when I was working for the Turkey Federation, like I was a graphic designer and you were just in a in your dark cave yeah. with your Mac the whole time. And it was crazy because you're, you know, we were designing stuff. We're designing things for uh, product design, package design, magazines, trade show collateral, but you don't ever actually see any of it. Mm-hmm. Like you see it on your Mac, and then you don't see it. And so, um, when we started going to trade shows and went to Vegas for Shot Show and stuff like that, it's like, oh, I see the whole industry in one place yeah. now, and I see everybody's stuff, and I see, I understand why 
you know, this banner needs to be this way because it's competing with 52 other banners. Mm-hmm. And we need, but so that, um, you're right. That's a real valuable thing to see all that mm-hmm. in person. Do you, how many trade shows do you do now? Just, just a handful. We do the great American outdoor show, uh, which is a 10 day show in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And that one, I mean, it's a yeah. long show, but it's, it's, you, this will be the, I think the seventh show I've done there. And so I recognize yeah. I recognize people that I know that don't remember me because we're in the same spot every single year, and it's like kind of Groundhog's Day, yeah. and it's like I remember you, you know, you shot this deer last year, and that that that's always kind of a funny thing because people don't expect you to remember, and my memory for yeah. some reason in that aspect is excellent, and I can just remember like, oh yeah, you guys yeah. are yada yada, and you did this, and they're like, how'd you remember that? I was like, I don't know, because we talked right here, same spot, same time <laughs> last year. <laughs> How, do do people know you more from the land podcast now or Exodus? It's a split. So in in Pennsylvania, I would say it's really it's really interesting because um, I get a lot of calls, just you know, people reaching out, and a lot of them they have no clue that like the association with Exodus and what I do there. Um, but at, at the Harrisburg show, it's definitely Exodus. But then I would say maybe yeah. out of ten, three three or four, like oh, I listen to the land podcast. You know, you help me buy this, or I'm really excited to buy a piece, and so. That's been fun to see that grow too, because I mean, I remember, I think it was a right, it was like kind of the COVID year and I just had the idea and I had three episodes in the bank. I was like, I need to stop being a wimp and just post it and say, I'm going to post an episode every single week. And and that's what I just yeah. did. And like, <laughs> and it was, it was challenging. And it's yeah. like, I think that's, it's the same thing all the time. Like you just got to rip the bandaid off and just do it and put the ugly baby out there mm-hmm. and let it grow up. <laughs> I've never heard that before, but that's awesome. Put the ugly baby out there. <laughs> so, how? Tell me how that started because that probably happened about the same time you were interning for Exodus, right? No, so, when when you got your real estate license? So yeah, so I, I got mean, my real estate license. Yeah, my senior year of college as well. I started that my junior year. Okay, and I didn't really know what I was going to do post grad. I knew it wasn't law enforcement, and it's something I just kind of always thought of, like that'd be pretty cool. That'd be pretty interesting. And so I just started. I just all right, I'm just gonna get my license. And so I just started the online classes and did that. And then I got my, I ended up passing my real estate exam my, in September of my senior year, which was, that would have been 2016. Um, and so really had no clue what, what that would even transpire. Or like, once again, I had, you know, it's like, you can, you can, you know, storyboard or like vision, like this is what it's going to be year one, two, three. And so I got my license, you know, 22 years old, never bought a piece of real estate in my life. I mean, <laughs> and yeah. so that was, that was, uh, you know, I'm really thankful for some of my first clients that believed in me. And some of those first clients are still, you know, repeat clients today. And it's just, uh, it's fun to look back, like how much you learn from that would have been like six, seven years ago now. It's like how much, like as an agent yeah. and like what I know now to when I just started. And there was a lot of people that said, you know, you're too young to get your license. Why would anyone trust you? Or you don't have any experience. And, and my thought process was, if I get it when I'm 22, when I'm 32, I already have 10 years experience. Oh, it's yeah. like the sooner you start, the better I, it is. Everybody's got to start yeah. somewhere. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And so, and it's like, I, I'm a big self-education guy. Like I'll figure things out. I'm not going to be great to start, but yeah. I'll, I'll get better. And uh, so that's what I did. Yeah. And, um, you know, like the perception of that, or I guess it was a slow start. Like I did a couple deals a year, did a couple more deals a year after that. And like year three is when things yeah. really got traction. Then it's compounded ever, ever since, because, 
uh, what's interesting about recreational land, in my opinion, is when someone buys a piece of tillable, they're probably buying a piece of tillable for the rest of their life. If they buy a house, they're statistically mm-hmm. going to move out in probably five to seven years. That's repeat business. If people buy a recreational piece, I don't think there's much hard data, but we can just assume in five to seven years they're going to want to sell that and buy something different. And so that's what I found to be mm-hmm. really interesting. Like, well, if I can start building my client base now, and that continues to compound too, and you get better and you learn more things, then uh, it just I just have seen that happen. And I think that's everything in business of hopefully year one revenue is this, and you hope year two revenue is that, and year three, four, five, six, seven. And that's that's yep. kind of what I've seen with that. Uh, as well and it was a good it was a good time too yeah. to obviously what we've seen in 21 22 was historic in, in every fashion in terms of real estate and so that was you know some some form of luck too and i was glad i had some experience at that point too and i wasn't a guy that said oh you know i read every headline that real estate's crazy and, and i want to get my license like i already had my license and already had somewhat of a foundation and uh that, that yeah. was good timing lucky timing well and one thing, too, that's great about the young real estate guys, I've got several, uh, probably four or five buddies that are in real estate. Two work for Whitetail Properties. Two are here in North Carolina that's selling houses and stuff. But you talk to them at first, and they'll talk about how, like, their first deal they worked 80 hours on. And they were, like, helping move old equipment out of a barn <laughs> yeah. for the landowner to make the deal work. And it's like... They wouldn't touch that. They wouldn't pick up the phone for that call. Yeah. Now, yeah. you know. Yeah. So there is a certain value. As long as the person's sharp, I, I see a lot of value in having somebody young and that it's willing to hustle and, hey, yeah. some of those, some, they got time. Some of those first listings that I got, and I, I would just be brutally honest, like, hey, I don't have a ton of experience. I know you're asking three other agents. I know I know there's going to be two other trucks that show up after me. So, but I can tell you this. I, I yeah. will work harder than any of them, and I will get this sold, and I will jump through any hoop to get this deal done. And, and I, some of those people yeah. said, all right, you got the shot, you know, make it happen. Yep. And I, you know, like, and that's, sometimes you have to put it on the line and you don't, people can, people can sense BS. And like, if you're, if you're a young guy, yeah. you're like, you know, I've sold this much and I know this and I know that He's, we're dealing with people. Like they're going to make a decision with yeah. their brain, not a spreadsheet. Yep. Did you throw in some deer pee too? I don't think I ever did. <laughs> That would be awesome, dude. I don't think I did. That would be a fun. That would be a hilarious closing gift to show up with. The, here's some pee. What was the What was the first piece that you sold? So actually, speaking of his, I know you remember it like it was yesterday. So one of the first pieces I sold was actually a old duck club. Ironically, um, it wasn't. It wasn't huh. a really big one. I mean, it was. It was just on a lake, and it was. A, it was a really cool piece, and it was. It was more of a house than anything. And looking back now, all. I was so naive because the access to it was like five different easements to get back into it. And it was like, these are things like once you get under contract and you're like, Oh crap. And you're like, what do I do now? And, and so that was, that was, uh, I remember, and speaking of help, like I changed the locks on the door because the people were from out of town. I did all sorts of weird stuff on that. They had, they had to get a window replaced. I lined up all that and I, I met them there and took pictures, made sure it was all done. Uh, but that was one of the, that was one of the first pieces I sold. And I was like, man, this is, this is, this is pretty dang cool. And, and then since then it's like they, they start, I have a spreadsheet of all the deals I've done, who they were and, and everything else and mm-hmm. some notes. And it's fun to open up that spreadsheet because you scroll through it and you know, there's 80 or 90 on there now. And it's like, I can almost remember every single one, like who they were, like what obstacles did we have to go over? And then, yeah. or maybe like this one was silky smooth and it was the easiest closing of all time. And that, that's the yeah. fun thing with that because no matter, I think no matter how much experience you have, there's usually a nuance or a curveball in every single deal. 
Because, I mean, there's just a lot of different things that yep. come up from, from – it's two sides of a transaction, and then if you have two attorneys involved, and it's always – that's what I love. It's just you're always learning something different. And also the people you get to meet, like, through this type of deal yeah. – have been able to meet so many excellent people and that's that's part of the thing with the land podcast too it's like i just want to meet these people because if we think if we think who buys recreational ground typically they're usually really motivated people they usually have at least Mm -hmm. two jobs or two sources of incomes like those are the people i want to learn from Mm -hmm. and that was that's been one of the most exciting things that call it real estate or call it the land podcast has been by far the most rewarding thing yep Man, I've I've learned the same thing with original art. Like, I mean, I have people that literally will spend four grand on an original for their bathroom. You know, like their their mantles. You know, they're they're wanting. Hey, I need I need a, a wall to fill in my gun room. I'd like to spend ten to fifteen grand. You know, like these are people that have been very successful. And the crazy thing is, most of them are self made, and that's what I like. Is like the dude who you know, started the car dealership or started out with a bulldozer and built a huge grading business like that. Those are the kind of people that I, I work with a lot, but you start to realize there's some people that have like the, the skills that you're talking about. And it's usually, it's very rarely like a, 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 a talent. Most of the time it's a certain set of skills. I mean, I, I've sold work to some professional athletes mm-hmm. and musicians and stuff, but like most of the time it's like a, people that have a certain set of life skills they're disciplined. They problem solve. They they take on challenges, and um, and and that can go across a ton of different uh, uh, careers. You know, it's not just like accountants, lawyers, and doctors you're selling to. It's like a dude that built a huge grading business or, or really successful there. So I can imagine you deal with those kind of people all the time, and I bet that's super cool. Yeah, I especially for a guy that's wired like you. Yeah, like and I, I love that a sponge for knowledge. And I love that all those. I would say ninety percent of those people are so helpful. I mean, oh I yeah. Mean, I, uh, there's this. This is fresh in mind, but like I had a call yesterday. Guy just sold his business. Well, you know, what would you've done differently? What worked well? How did it work? How how the buyers find you? And just told you, you know, kind of just gave you this is what we did well. And he's like, man, we just got lucky. And I was like, well, you didn't get lucky because you started the business and you grew it, <laughs> and someone else wanted it more than yeah. you did. Like that's not. There's no luck there. But. That's the thing. Like most of those people are so humble and just uh, always happy to provide a helping hand, and I do not take that for granted whatsoever. What was? Uh, give me an example. Like, what was something that was really hard you thought was going to crash a deal, and <laughs> yeah. came through? Um, I can think of a hand. I mean, there's one I don't want to share because it was such a mess. Up. It was, uh, okay. uh, but but we did get it closed <laughs> and it did work out. Um, I'll I'll say this. A lot of times, I'm just trying to think of some deals that. Like some common themes, a lot of times it's access where a lot, so a lot of these pieces, they get, they get chopped up. Like maybe it was in a big family and then, you know, one, one child got an 80, another one got an 80, another one got an 80 and another one got an 80. And then now one of them wants to sell the 80, but the one easement that has been always used, but never recorded because grandpa owned all of it and we all got along. And then the one wants to sell it. And then all of a sudden, like, well, is there a recorded easement? And then you now you have to go and get the signatures of the people that, like, why am I going to provide an easement? I don't need it. And so, like, that that is probably one of the, the biggest potential stoppers of a deal. And and it's like some of those deals where 
like, yeah, I think we have something written down somewhere on a napkin somewhere. And it's like, well, do you or don't you? Because it's yeah. going to change things a lot. <laughs> and so those are the kind of those things that you just figure yeah. out over, over time. I could think of um, another deal I was actually going, I was considering to buy. And I ended up not buying it because it was in a town where there was an old coal mine. And the, it, so it's called a Superfund. So Superfund's not very common, but it's, by, it's a distinction from the EPA that says this area is at environmental risk. And okay. in this area, the soil was toxic. And in the town, they had to remove the topsoil of the entire town and bring in new topsoil. This was just right on the edge of town. Wow. Yeah. And, I, and the only reason I knew that, once again, learning something on every deal, I was selling a house. And the buyer's agent was very familiar with that area. He's like, do you have the Superfund form? I'm like, the what? You know, like the Superfund form. And I'm like, okay. So I Google it right away. And then they, you have to send a disclosure to say, you are acknowledging that this is an EPA environmental at risk area. Do you still want to buy this property? And so that was, that's like kind of the, one of those off the wall deals, but I ended up passing on that piece because of that. And it's, you know, there was a bunch of studies on it and, and some of the risks that could be associated with that. But that was a really unique one. And, uh, but I mean, ultimately, and then for every one of those, there's about 15 where nothing comes up. So I'm not trying to scare anyone that like, cause, cause yeah. sometimes when you share these stories, you're, you're thinking, oh man, you know, people, people become very nervous and I understand why, but these are very rare occurrences. Another one is yeah. actually the first farm I ever bought. And I was on a, I was on map, right at the time. And they had a filter. I can't remember what it was called, but it was like some sort of environmental filter. And part of the farm that I was buying, that I was under contract to purchase, came up. And so I was 26 at the time. I was basically putting every dollar I had into this farm to buy it because I wanted to buy a piece. And, and I got nervous. I'll be completely honest with everyone. I got really nervous. And it's like it was part of uh, – man, I'm drawing a blank on what it was called. But it, it was in some sort of database that showed that there was at-risk species on this parcel. And then, so I was like, oh, okay, so what does that mean? What restrictions are there? And so this is the runaround that I went on. I found the thing, and it was on some different sites. And to get access to what the information was, they were trying to sell you a subscription for $5,000 out of some uh, European country that had this special database. I was like, I'm not doing that. And so I went through this whole deal. <laughs> I, I had calls with a bunch of federal biologists. Like, what does this mean? They're like, well, I don't know what it is, but I, I'm seeing it here in the same database you are. And I was like, well, what does it say? Like, well, it doesn't really say anything. And so ultimately there was some special bulb on this property, and it was a voluntary program that someone enrolled previously when they owned it. And so I did everything backwards. So this is a good lesson. I went from the very top. I went to Europe. I went to federal. I went to state. And then I ended up calling the local NRCS office like an idiot. <laughs> and they're like, you know, I don't, I don't know what that is. And they're like, there's a lady that keeps crazy records. I bet you she'll know. I'll call her. And I call her. Yeah, it's just, in a, it's just a voluntary program. It doesn't mean anything. And the funding for it ran out, so the program's done. And so, but at that time, just being nervous and young and not really knowing what you don't know and it being so weird. And then when you yeah. Google it, it says, like, they could take back your ground, like all this different crazy stuff. And so it, it was nothing. It had no teeth. And, but, there, I mean, it's a cool piece of property. It has some unique attributes to it. And like, you know, there was an old yeah. hill prairie on it at one point, which is really rare in this part of Illinois. And so, like, there was just a lot of cool things that went with that. But that was, that was a really – that was when I got experience because here I'm representing myself right now, and I'm nervous. <laughs> you know what I'm Yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, so that was a really weird thing. And I wish I, I, wish I would have put a note what it was called because it – and as you look it up, like, there was – there was an, actually a state hill prairie that was nearby that was registered, and it had the same distinction of that. 
then on that little tiny hill prairie, according to one person, you so let's say you own eight, this 80-acre piece, but there's a two-acre hill prairie. Supposedly, even though you own the 80 acres and that two-acre hill prairie's on it, you couldn't hunt the hill prairie on your own ground. And then it was just a tiny little really? it was a tiny little piece on that piece of ground. And I learned that because I went to high school with the kid that was the neighbor to that. And I was like, hey, there's that hill prairie by you. What does that mean? What do you know about it? He's like, yeah. And then I was like, who's the biologist you ran into that was out here burning it one day? And he gave me the number. And I called them. I'm like, yeah, that's right. I was like, okay, well, I'm trying to buy this piece. What can you say about that? And, it, and they're like, well, yeah, it's not registered or active anymore. But that was a registered hill prairie. So that was kind of getting off, off on a side tangent, but that was very strange. And it was the first piece I was ever buying. So like, I've, for anyone that's trying to buy their first farm, or like, I've helped a lot of clients buy their first farm. I've been there. I've done that. Like I, I have been in the same exact emotional yeah. roller coaster that you are in right now, and we're going to get through this. And if it doesn't work out or if it's something that does have you spooked, you're not going to hurt my feelings and say, no, this isn't it. You know, I'm, I'm too nervous, and, and I get that. Yeah. There you guys have it. Hope you guys enjoyed this portion of the Land Podcast with Ryan Kirby. Next week, we're diving into some of these details deeper. And we're talking about Ryan's first ever real estate experience, which I think you really enjoy. And we'll also talk about the current market and how to align your expectations with reality, not a false perception. And I think it's very timely and you'll definitely want to give it a listen. And also be sure to leave the written review on the land podcast on the heart of art of hunting with Ryan Kirby. And we'll have more details about the giveaway next, next week, but that is for sure going to be one of the ways to win some art from Ryan. So hope you guys have a great week. Stay warm until next time. See ya.